Thanks for clicking play on the latest episode of the Iowa Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Dirks, alongside my co-host and friend, Dr. Bob Leonard. Dr. Bob, how you doing today? Really well, thank you. Starting to warm up a little bit. Starting to feel a little bit more like summer. It's going to get warmer as we head through the week. And do want to remind you, we are on Twitter. We're at Iowa Revolution. Make sure you follow us there. You can also make sure you subscribe to this specific podcast, the Iowa Revolution podcast. We'd also encourage you to follow all of our Iowa podcasters collaborative colleagues and also make sure you follow Dr. Bob Leonard on Substack. He's with the Iowa Writers Collaborative and you're going to be retiring from radio at the end of this week. Friday will be your last day so you'll have even more content to be pushing out on your Substacks. Right and I'll be pushing out lots of audio too so I'm not leaving audio like we're not leaving audio. It's it's part of who we are. So yeah more will be coming. All right. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And congratulations also on your retirement. I'm going to miss you a lot. Oh, Don't even you. really want to think about it too much yet. I told you it probably isn't going to really hit until next week and you're not actually there. So trying to push off those emotions until maybe next week. But congratulations. Certainly much deserved for you to have a little bit more time off. We know that anybody that knows Dr. Bob knows that you're not going to be sitting around in retirement. You're going to be almost probably busier than ever, really. Yeah, well, I don't, you'll still, it's sort of funny, my main presence is people hearing me shuffling around the building, so I don't know if I'm you're going to miss, miss that so too much. much. Yes, I'm going to miss it. So a lot of stuff to get to, you know, I was looking around this morning, I was kind of thinking other than the Trump arraignment, now with the federal charges, which we'll get to later on in the podcast, I was thinking it's kind of been a quiet week, but I was looking around, it's not been too quiet. We'll start with Iowa News first. The application process for the educational savings account is now open, and that will go until June 30th, so we'll discuss that a little bit. And also, kind of in the same vein, Moms for Liberty, which is a big proponent of Governor Kim Reynolds, it's a nationwide organization. The Southern Poverty Law Center has included them, as well as some other parental rights groups, parental rights in quotations, they've been deemed extremist by the SPLC. So we'll discuss that. Also, of course, as I mentioned, Donald Trump, in fact, as we speak right now on Tuesday afternoon in the process of being arrested and arraigned on those federal charges. So we'll get into that. Also, we'll talk a little bit more about Republican polling and what this might mean for the Republican nomination process. We have some good news. A -A Make-A-Wish kid in Iowa had one of her wishes fulfilled. So we'll get to that. And also, we have a new NBA champion. We do? Yeah. Yeah, see, exactly. You have no idea. Do you know who won the NBA championship? No. no. Okay, well, Dr. Bob will find out along with the rest of you. Well, I'm just still of the mindset that the NBA championship is over within the spring. They drag it out so long to make so much money that I just lose interest. You along with a lot of other people. The ratings were pretty good for the NBA finals, especially considering that the Miami Heat and Denver Nuggets aren't necessarily the two bluest of bloods. It's not like it was the Celtics versus the Lakers, but they did have pretty good ratings. And the NBA playoffs are ridiculously long. They start in April. They end, obviously, in June. So that's literally a two-month-long process to crown the champion. It is funny because the winter sports NHL actually has possibly their last game tonight, the Florida Panthers versus the Vegas Golden Knights. So, yeah, basketball and hockey in June – in Vegas and Miami, 
something doesn't seem right. And also, Pat Sajak is going to be retiring from Wheel of Fortune, so I figured we'd do our top five game shows today. Or I'll do my top five. Maybe you'll have some that are different. I was originally going to do top five current play-by-play announcers, so we'll kind of save that for next week. So we'll do top five game shows at the end of the show today. Sounds good. We will start, as I said, with some Iowa news, Iowa coast-to-coast. This is from KCRG-TV in Cedar Rapids. The number of Iowans applying for an educational savings account under Iowa's new school voucher program has surpassed projections, raising questions on the cost to state taxpayers and local school districts. As of Friday, this past Friday, the Iowa Department of Education says it has received 15,538 applications for the ESA, or the Educational Savings Account, to provide state funding for a student to attend a private K-12 school. A legislative services agency analysis projected 14,068 would enroll in the first year of the program. The application period runs through June 30th, meaning the number of applications will likely continue to grow. We still have, you know, two weeks until the end of the month. If all of those applications are approved, the taxpayer cost for the program would likely exceed the $107 million estimated for this coming school year. It would also likely mean a larger than expected loss in funding to public schools due to students enrolling instead in a private institution. And it'll become a crisis in higher education and they'll have to pull more money from public schools that shouldn't be going there anyway. But she'll, it'll, be, it'll become a crisis that is then used to further her goals because always view a crisis as an opportunity. So even if it isn't a crisis, they will make it one. Yeah, and this is the goal. They want to kill public schools. If it was up to them, there would be no public schools in the state of Iowa. It would all be privately run. And most of those, from their perspective, they would like those to be Christian private schools. Right. And I was talking with a friend this morning, and he's a Republican and smart guy. and, And he was saying, Bob, don't you just see that they just want to make it better? And I said, they want to make it better. How is this good for public education? It's something where they're giving money to schools that don't have to accept every kid, giving money to schools that some of the most wealthy people, you know, in the state, some of the most privileged people in the state that can already afford to send their kids to private schools. It's not going to help the poor kids that would somehow magically have to come up with another five grand. I mean, it's not going to help them. Let's just say it's the biggest giveaway to some of the most privileged people. Giveaway of public funds, taking away public funds from the public, the public schools, as a big giveaway. The largest giveaway in the history of Iowa to wealthy private people. And you mentioned that we're just funding rich people that can already afford it. I think it was Brad Zahn that said publicly this would allow him to set up a college savings account for his kids because he wouldn't have to be paying the private school tuition or not as much of the private school tuition. So even a state senator has said, I'm going to use this money that you, the public, are giving me so I can, as a rich person, put a little bit of extra money in the college savings account. Yeah, well, and other people are diverting it for other things. I have a friend whose kids go to Xavier, and they've already had the money budgeted, and what they're going to do is then spend it on paying other bills or something. Pay for braces. Yeah. Maybe put put an addition on the house or a vacation. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, whatever they want to spend it on is whatever they... Obviously, it's their right at this point to spend that money however they want. But if the whole goal was to 
lift some of these kids that are in lower economic statuses up, this is not going. It's not going to happen. It's not going to do that. No, and then you took the. You made it harder to get on SNAP for their parents, and then you've got made it easier for them to work late. So they're still not going to be able to afford it, and they're going to be able to join the workforce instead. So it's it's just this multifaceted way to further inequities in society. Yeah, and siphon money away from the poor and give it to the rich. So also, I want to mention this. This is, again, from KCRG-TV. It's also impossible to know yet whether certain counties are seeing a disproportionate share of applications since the LSA analysis also noted only 57 of Iowa's 99 counties had a certified private school. That had been a concern of even some Republican lawmakers who worried the voucher system would disproportionately hurt rural areas. Duh. It will. There'll be some private schools that'll have buses and that'll go to other communities, but that doesn't still doesn't help those smaller communities. Right. And also this money doesn't include things like transportation. So they still would probably have to pay, even if the bus comes to pick them up, they'd have to yeah. pay for that bus to come pick them up in another county or whatever. They're still going to have to pay for their books. And you mentioned in one of our previous podcasts that if you don't buy it from whatever the name of the company yeah. is out in New York, if you don't buy it from them, it's not tax deductible. So right. Every book, every pencil, everything has to come through the company that the state has contracted with. If they really wanted to save people money, you know, they would just say, you know, bring your receipts from Walmart or whatever. Exactly. And along those same lines, I saw this this morning. This is from NPR, and it goes right along the same lines of turning schools into this battleground between Democrats and Republicans. More than two years into a conservative push against teaching about black history, literature, and gender identity in public schools, the Southern Poverty Law Center has concluded that a dozen so-called parental rights groups behind the movement are extremists. The civil rights organization particularly focuses on the largest of these, the nonprofit Moms for Liberty, which is does have a chapter in the state of Iowa. They were big behind this school voucher choice and all these anti-trans bills that are targeting trans kids in schools. So in its annual Year in Hate and Extremism report for 2022, the SPLC says that it advances an anti-student inclusion agenda. It's talking about Moms for Liberty. And the SPLC has put it and similar organizations on its list of anti-government extremist entities drawing comparisons between them and parent groups that attempted to resegregate public schools during the civil rights movement. Quote, they really are seeking to undermine public education holistically and to divide communities, said Rachel Carol Rivas, Deputy Director for Research, Reporting and Analysis at the SPLC. Carol Rivas said her organization has received numerous calls from parents and educators who are concerned about the sudden appearance and tactics of Moms for Liberty activists in their schools. The SPLC report compares Moms for Liberty and similar organizations of today to pro-segregationist parent groups that flourished in the wake of the 1954 Supreme Court decision in Brown v. Board of Education. That decision forced schools across the U.S. to integrate, but it also gave fire to a movement to undermine public education. The report names as examples the Mother's League of Central High School and the Cheerleaders of New Orleans, which were established to resist inclusiveness at schools during that earlier era. Quote, that was hateful then and it's hateful now, said Shannon Hiller, executive director of the Bridging Divides Initiative at Princeton University. And Governor Kim Reynolds has made friends with the group and even shared a logo on Twitter from Moms for Liberty that says, quote, we don't co-parent with the government. And... This is me editorializing. Yes, they fucking do. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and what sort of, I've seen these Moms for Liberty folks at various political events and wearing their t-shirts and stuff. It's a it's a sort of a Trojan horse because they just look like everyday moms and mm-hmm. and you know they look like they support their kids and the public education and liberty and all that. But it's if they're not that, they want to force their view. They're book banners. Yeah. They're book banners. All of us. They They, want to get rid of diversity, inclusion. Yeah. Yeah. No, they don't want any of those discussions because they make them uncomfortable. And I don't understand. They don't want it to be taught for the simple reason that they don't want inclusion to be taught or diversity or any of that because they don't want it. They don't want it. It's discriminatory. It is hateful. We're a big pluralistic society. And to write groups of people out of literature and history is just fundamentally wrong. And then they create this whitewashed history that is a lie that no, that society in general doesn't profit from, but a narrow, bigoted, component of white people do and privileged white people wealthier white people clutching for any last dollar or bit of oh i don't know any any part of the narrative they can grab and recreate they're going to try to do it and you know what it's just going to fail it's going to flop there's going to be a a reaction and, you know, we just have to trust people to be educated and vote and recognize that we are a broad, pluralistic society, that we're better off because we're broad and pluralistic. I mean, it's it's sort of interesting. It's 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 like, well, for example, we have whenever we have a woman news person. We get a whole new angle. We do something, oh, just simple about a story on how to do put sunscreen on. And, you know, so, we'll talk, you know, we had one a young woman that was talking to the public health person. And they were talking about sunscreen. And they were saying, yeah, I was at the soccer game the other day. And I uh, forgot to, to put it on the top of my feet because, you know, you know how women's shoes will often be open-ended. I wouldn't have thought to talk about that. And then they said, yeah, and I made a mistake and I put my hair up and my neck got burned. So we need to make sure that we put sunscreen. And it's like, I don't worry about putting my hair up. I mean, my hair right. is up. It's, <laughs> right. it's, but so, you know, just to think how they, if we think differently about sunscreen, think of the other things that we think differently about. And as if we're, you know, from different cultures, think of the different things that, that are important to us. And it's, I don't know, to me, that's interesting. It's not something to be stomped out. One thing that they talked about in the article that I didn't quote from, but they did talk exactly about that, how a lot of the concerned parents and educators that the SPLC has heard from are students of color, marginalized students, whether they're lesbian or gay or transsexual. So it does, from their point of view, the Moms for Liberty, everybody's white. And if you're not white, we don't care. Right. We don't care. We don't care about your history. We don't care what you may have to be able to teach us about your history and who you are and your perspective. They don't care. 
They don't want people to hear about it. They don't want pe- other people different from them to exist. Right. It's as simple as that. We don't have to go much further into it. So, well, And the consequences are, but you just think about it. I have several friends who have gay and trans kids that they have written out of their lives. How can you possibly write one of your beautiful children out of your life because what they teach you in some shitty church you go to? Right. Really? It's nice to have the Southern Poverty Law Center deem them as extremists because they are. Maybe this will shine a light on some of the things that they're doing. And like I said, it isn't just in, I think they started in Florida, but they quickly spread nationwide. And like I said, there is a pretty good chapter in the state of Iowa, pretty good sized chapter in the state of Iowa for Moms for Liberty. And Hopefully, this will cause more people to stand up to them. It's a minority perspective. It's an aberration on the history of Christianity. It has nothing to do with the Sunday school I was raised in. It has nothing to do with Christianity. There's nothing Christ-like about anything any of these people do. Otherwise, they'd be healing the sick, feeding the hungry giving a hand up to the poor rather than a slap across a kid's face because they're trans or gay. Disassociating, getting away, get away from our house, you child. You know, it's just, they're doing it all of the time. And they act like it's because God wants them to. It's, there's just some really bad operators who have appropriated what was once a beautiful religion to me, they've appropriated it. But the thing is, within the Christian church, there are people that you know, are saddened, disgusted, find it revolting that their beliefs have been hijacked for these nefarious means by bad actors. And that's just what they are. Don't act like when they come you know, to school or the legislatures with their nice suburban mom look, what they're doing is insidious. And you know what? But the thing is that they may not even recognize that. They may be good people. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm saying they're being manipulated by bad actors. I don't think they're bad people at all. But they're living in an intellectual realm that has no bearing or anything beneficial to society when they act like it is it's not and it's going to it's going to implode and we have to resist we we have to resist and that's what the southern poverty law center is doing they know what they're doing yes they know who are the enemies of the people of and furthermore of democracy i do like how and like you said these are the experts they've been doing this for decades and decades and decades and I do like that they tied what the Moms for Liberty and a lot of these quote-unquote parental rights groups are doing and comparing it to what the resegregationists did in the 50s and 60s just to show you how important it is to work against them and how dangerous people like that can be for our communities for our schools and for our kids. And that's why we need to join arms and be allies with the people that they're trying to marginalize and stand with them. 
And that's we have to. If we don't stand with them, who will? And then you know what? That's one of the reasons I'm not all caught up in basketball and stuff like that, because we were at a crisis. You know, I love you know watching some things every once in a while, but I think that sometimes we're numbed by you know all kinds of fun and wonderful things out there that divert us from realizing what is really going on. We you know, it's like the frog in the water. You slowly turn it up. Right. We are boiling right now, that's for sure. Let's get into some cock talk. Biggest news, of course, over the past week is the Department of Justice released on Friday an unsealed federal indictment of former President Donald Trump with 37 felony counts related to the mishandling of classified documents, obstructing justice, and making false statements. Former Trump aide Walt Nauta also faces charges in the indictment. He was seen removing boxes at Mar-a-Lago on a surveillance camera, according to the Associated Press. Special counsel Jack Smith on Friday said that the indictment charged the former president with, quote, felony violations of our national security laws and participating in a conspiracy to obstruct justice. He also encouraged the public to read the indictment to understand the scale and scope of the charges, quote, our laws that protect national defense information are critical to the safety and security of the United States and they must be enforced. Quote, violations of those laws put our country at risk. The indictment alleges that Trump shared a classified map related to an ongoing military operation and improperly stored boxes containing classified documents at his Florida home, Mar-a-Lago, including in a ballroom, bathroom, and a shower. Federal prosecutors also accused the former president of defying requests from the Justice Department to hand over classified documents, making false statements to the FBI, and tapping his aides to help hide boxes of records. Yeah, and they're all flipping. You know they're all flipping. All of his aides, all those people are flipping. Well, yeah, I don't think they would have gotten the Trump aide that is also now facing charges. It was in a voluntary uh, interview with the FBI. So this guy, Walt Nauta, uh, used to be a valet in the White House for Donald Trump. He was a naval officer, was in the U.S. Navy. So then after Trump left office, a few months after that, he hired him to be um, his bag man basically you know his right body hand man. man his body man that's yep that's the right term we have all sorts of aides he's that are gonna flip his lawyers basically have flipped because he lied and hid things from his lawyers he's having trouble now finding a lawyer to represent him locally in the state of florida i know that he's been turned down by several lawyers already i did want to mention We'll get to the Trump stuff in a minute, but Chuck Grassley was asked by reporter Joe Perticone whether he's read the indictment yet. Grassley responded he hasn't because he's, quote, not a legal analyst. Grassley has been on the Judiciary Committee for decades. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pathetic. Have you read the indictment? Yeah. So have I. It didn't take long. No, I don't, you, don't have to be, you don't have to be a legal analyst to know what happened. It, you know, if you just sat down and read it, it would take you a half hour, maybe, if that. Well, you know, there weren't a lot of revelations in it because we saw Trump drag this out forever. Yeah, it's all just putting in writing what we already knew. Yeah. yeah. That he hid the boxes, he moved them from room to room, they moved them from storage rooms to his residence. He lied to his lawyers to cover up the fact that he had more boxes than he was telling them, which forced the lawyers to lie to the FBI knowingly or unknowingly, we're not sure yet, that, yeah, we've given everything that you've asked for in that subpoena that was on May 11th. On June 2nd was when his lawyers turned over what they quote-unquote had. And 
they still had more. So they, that's where the obstruction of justice and holding onto those records comes from, which are the extra charges on top of just taking the records, which he didn't legally have a right to do anyway. And people try to conflate this with what Joe Biden did or with Mike, Mike Pence. They were alerted that you had these records or they told the FBI or Department of Justice that we have these records and they turned them over. Immediately. That's not what Donald Trump did. And I did add it up. And if they were to run consecutively rather than concurrently, the total amount of maximum prison time that he could receive for the 37 counts is exactly 100 years. It's not enough. Hopefully he spends the rest of his life in jail. I mean, he's still facing other charges. He's still facing the election case in New York where he was paying off people, Stormy Daniels and another one of his mistresses. So he's still facing criminal charges for that. He was just found civilly liable for sexual assault in a case in New York that was resolved several weeks ago that we talked about on the podcast. And there's still possibly more with January 6th, with the Georgia election meddling that he and his team did. So... You add it all up, he should spend the rest of his life in jail. Well, the thing is, this has all been in plain view. We know he's guilty, but let the legal process work its way out. That's all Grassley should have said. Uh, You know, I stand by the rule of law. Let's see what the evidence says. You know, but he knows what it says. And I don't think, yeah, I don't know. I think I've told you before, I don't think he should go to jail. I think he should be... Oh, marooned at Mar-a-Lago in an orange jumpsuit, um, an ankle bracelet, and a flip phone. Yeah. That's what he gets. Right. Keep him off of truth social. (laughs) Um, Anything else? I do want to mention Joni Ernst. She responded that she is, quote, concerned if the allegations are true, which... She's she should pretty, yeah, well, good for her. She's no hero now. Well, I know. And she has been pretty consistent in yeah. saying that with the other charges that have come up. But she should have been saying it a long time ago. Right. And it's like there are, people are acting like Mike Pence is, in the, is a hero for what he did. No, nobody's a hero in the legislative body of Republicans. You know, the heroes were Liz Cheney and, and Kissinger and right. a couple of other people. Those are the people that had the courage to stand up. Yeah, they all hitched their wagon to Trump, and now they're scrambling to get off. And it's like, you are part of the reason why we're in this spot to begin with. And they just need to all flip now and get rid of him as soon as possible. I don't know. Or drag it out. I mean, it would be good for the Democrats if they drag it out to the bitter end. But if they made a clean break now, it would be better. It's going to be you know, interesting to see how... You know, it looks like there might be one man of honor standing, maybe Senator Tim Scott, who's in pellet when this drops. We'll see. We'll see if he responds or if he has the integrity. It looks like he does. But if he starts parroting Trump stuff, he's not the person he's cracked out to be. You kind of led me right into from 538.com. Trump currently leads the Republican nomination field. So 538.com takes the averages of all the reputable polls. So Trump currently leads the nomination field at 54.7%. Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, is pulling at 21.5%. And both Mike Pence and Nikki Haley are both pulling around 5%. So right now it's pretty much a two-horse race between Trump and DeSantis with a chance for Pence and Haley. You mentioned Tim Scott. He's, you know, around 2 or 3% right now. So we'll see how this shakes out. We'll see. I wanted to talk about this now because 
on the day of the indictment this morning, that's what those numbers were, 54.7%. So now we can go back and say, did he improve after the arraignment or did his numbers start to nosedive? I don't think they're really going to change that much, to be honest. No, he's got 30%, 30 to 40% of the, you know, of the base. It's going to probably, you know, go down with him, believing he's a great man for the rest of their lives. As sad as it is, you're probably right. What do you think Biden wants? Do you think he wants a repeat of 2020? Oh boy, I don't know. I think that Biden would have a better, have the best chance against Trump. But just having Trump as the nominee is so scary. I mean, it, it would be the end of democracy if Trump were elected. I mean, he's going to be vengeful and break even more laws and rules and regulations because he's totally unaccountable. He'll effectively become a king, but he's not going to be a benevolent one. Right. Cheery stuff. Now let's get into what's good. How about some good news, right? From KCCI, for Maddie Meyer's fifth birthday, all her friends and families gathered at Cornell Elementary to give her a special gift. Behind a line of fire trucks, there was a travel trailer just for Maddie. Maddie was diagnosed with brain cancer a year ago. Quote, our doctor did a fantastic job of getting a scan done, and it showed that she had a tumor that had ruptured and was bleeding inside her head. End quote. That's from Maddie's dad, Ryan Meyer. Maddie's defied the odds. This is again as a quote. We weren't sure if we'd celebrate a fifth birthday. Since Maddie's diagnosis, medical bills became a burden for her family. They got rid of their old house and their old camper, which Maddie loved. But then along came Make-A-Wish Iowa. The nonprofit fulfilled her wish of having a camper so she could make many memories with her families this summer. Quote, throughout the whole thing, the wish never changed. It was always camping, end quote. That's from Maddie's mom, Brianna Meyer. There were even more gifts inside, a toy chest for Maddie's Barbies and dolls, a bathroom with a shower and blankets, everything you need to make camping comfortable. Maddie's parents say it's a gift just knowing that people care, quote, they are people that we'll stay in contact with long after this, so we really appreciate everything they've done. Again, that's from Brianna Meyer, Maddie's mom. Yeah, well, that's a heartwarming story. It could be better, though. I was going to say, when I was reading this, it is overall a good news story, and it brings to mind a lot of other quote-unquote good stories when they say the community rallied behind this person because of medical bills, and you're thinking there's no fucking reason why this community should have to rally behind somebody for medical bills. Right, we should have a healthcare system that that serves everybody and doesn't bankrupt. These people have yeah. sold their home, yeah, sold yeah. their home, sold their travel trailer. So now everybody in the family is worse off. Right. Well, that's what we need. We we need a, a different medical system. I mean, it drove my parent, my mom's cancer, drove my parents into bankruptcy. Yeah. It does any medical bill. I know a lot of people that don't go to the doctor because they fear what the bill will be. Right. And so that's just wrong. This is a good story, but the point, if we don't say the problems behind it, we are sort of rationalizing mm -hmm. the healthcare system that failed this little girl. Yeah. Fortunately, her family and friends, you know, stood up as they should, and then other probably random people, but it shows that there's a, a real problem behind it. And, and I, I think about this every time I see a donation can at Casey's. Yeah. Why do these people have to put up donation cans? Right. Because we're not in the best healthcare system in the nation. We're some of the worst we're in the, in the developed world. Yeah. yeah. 
oh, we're the finest healthcare system in the world. Well, no, it's not. Maybe finest technology, finest doctors, nurses, whatever, but not. The insurance industry is robbing us blind. I just saw a statistic. I had heard this previously, but there was a world-class United States female sprinter that died at home giving childbirth. And the United States is the worst country, or at least developed nation, in terms of mortality rates for women giving birth. It's like 55 per 100,000, which is far and away higher. And if you, and this was a black woman, and I think black women, it goes up to like 69 out of 100,000, you know, births. Right. Moms for Liberty would say, oh, there's no systemic racism in society, you know. You can look at any number you want and find that that's not the case. Leave it to us to find bad news and good news. Well, we're being analytical and thoughtful about all the issues. And I, and I, I hope people enjoy it. If they, if they want to listen to people like Bob and Tom in the morning, just <laughs> we're probably not their cup of tea. Not usually, no. We do like to have some fun here, but we also like to be honest and let people know exactly what's going on. So uh, another good news, I mentioned the Denver Nuggets. They've won their first ever NBA championship in franchise history. They beat the Miami Heat four games to one. Nikola Jokic was the was named the MVP of the series. Do you know where he's from, Nikola Jokic? I don't know. Central Europe? Yeah, he's from Serbia. Yeah. Yep. Well, good. Well, that's a good story. There's a good story behind that. But see, that's just it to me. Sports has so many fascinating stories. And that guy's story, I'm sure, is a fascinating yes. one. And the very best sport, some of the very best writing that exists are on the sports pages. But it's only when you go into those kinds of stories and hear and hear somebody from Serbia's story. I mean, I'm sure it's it's fascinating. And that's the kind of stories that should, it's, it's got to be more than the score. It's not got to be more than the technique. It's got to be the, the stories behind the people that got there and, and their trials and tribulations. And then that's good for everybody. Sports can be a Trojan horse to educate people. Some of the best documentaries over the past 10 to 15 years are the 30 for 30 documentaries from ESPN. And a lot of those aren't necessarily purely sports stories. They've done stories on the European countries being war-torn and a lot of good basketball players coming from there. They did one on Vlade Divac, who also comes from the same area. Not sure if he's Serbian or Croatian, but from that same area. They did the two Escobars about Pablo Escobar and a famous soccer player from Colombia. And so, yeah, it is almost like a Trojan horse to teach people about the world, whether it's the world or even, you know, a lot of athletes grew up in less desirable environments and defeated the odds to get where they are. And those are uplifting stories, but it also at its heart is about how we are failing a lot of people in this country. Do you know what the first sports feature story from KNIA, Carol S., was that won a first prize in the Iowa Broadcast News Association? I don't. The first sports reporting that we won a prize for was by me. And it was my interview. Sports duber. Yeah. It was my interview with Mario Andretti. Yeah. Okay. And 
I'm old enough to remember when he was racing. I'm old enough to remember when there were only three channels. And if you wanted to watch something on Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon, if it wasn't football season, it could well be racing. Sure. And so, I, you know, I knew he won the Indianapolis 500 and a bunch of other things. But anyway, but the, the story that was told, I didn't ask him about racing. I mean, I, just, I might have said a couple of things about racing. But what I asked him was, what was it like to grow up as an orphan, as a child, in Italy during World War II. And when I asked him like that, his eyes lit up. Yeah. And, he, and he told the story of him and his brother and waking up in a, in a, in a bombed house. And so, so I, that's, that's the human stories that we should, you know, that, that make us more informed about the world around us so can, we can learn about history and culture and the different kinds of why people are the way they are and where they come from and to me it's a glorious thing to be able to learn from people that are different that have different experiences and the closer people are to me in terms of experience like the moms of liberty want the more boring our conversations are teach me something new right and mario andretti did it yeah He's the coolest champion of all time, Nicole Jokic. In his post-game interviews after winning the championship, he was asked by Lisa Salters, one of the sideline reporters, how does this feel? The typical sideline reporter question. And he just said, it's good, it's good, I'm ready to go home. And he basically repeated that refrain every single chance he got when he was actually at the post-game press conference. Somebody asked him how he felt because he said after the Lakers series, which is how they got into the NBA Finals, that he wasn't all that happy. You know, we're on to the finals. We still have more work to do. Very work-minded, refers to this as a job. Um, he even mentioned that I don't think most people enjoy their jobs. And if they do, they're lying. <laughs> so one of the most relatable superstars in NBA history. Basically, the job is done and I want to go home. They mentioned that the parade is on Thursday in Denver for their championship parade. And he said, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I got to get out of here. And the PR person said, oh, you can go home on Friday. And he just said, okay. So yeah. he just wants to get the hell back to Serbia and hang out with his horses, hang out with his brothers. And the job is done. Yeah. Whereas most NBA champions, especially the MVP like he was, are screaming at the top of their lungs. Oh, my God, I can't believe we did this. This is the greatest moment of my life. I'm going to look back on this fondly, yada, yada, yada. No, just let me go home to Serbia and let me be done. Because like you said, the playoffs are long. The NBA season is even longer. They start in like mid-October with regular season games. So he's going to basically just get back to Serbia and have to come right back to get ready for the next season. So he needs some time away, damn it. Well, if I were him and the way that he's talking, I would, I've got all the money in the world. I'd just stay home. No kidding. He doesn't need the game. No, probably not much anymore. It'll be interesting to see how long, how much longer he does play now. I'm not exactly sure what his contract situation is currently, but whenever this contract is up, maybe he does just say, that's it. I'm good. Got enough money. And however much money he's made so far, I'm sure it's in the hundreds of millions, will go a long way in Serbia. <laughs> so it's, yeah. not, it's not like he comes from L.A. and needs to get back home to his you know, family and friends in L.A. and where homes cost in the millions of dollars. Like, right. he's set for life. Pat Sajak is done. 
<laughs> not, qu- not, not quite done, actually. I should say almost done. The new season will start in September, so this coming season will be his final as the host of Wheel of Fortune. We do have a little bit of an Iowa connection. One of our friends, Corey Hauser, was yeah. just on Wheel of Fortune right. and won a whole bunch of money, won a car. That was only a couple months ago. So I told Corey, who grew up wanting to be a game show host, now's your chance, buddy. Especially as a former champion, maybe he can be like the Ken Jennings of Wheel of Fortune. Well, Get his hat in the ring. He would be fantastic. I'll, I'll say that He would do a much. good job. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do that, but maybe they're looking at Corey. Could be. I know that his daughter, Pat Sajak's daughter, is helping out with the show already. She does like a lot of their social media and website stuff, you know, like at home games and, and those sorts of things. So maybe it'll be another Nepo baby situation where they just hire Pat Sajak's daughter. Wouldn't be surprised. Could be. You know, there was a time in my life, I don't, I haven't watched Wheel of Fortune in years. I don't like Pat Sajak's politics, but there was a time in my life where I watched it every day. Mm-hmm. I was living on the Zuni reservation in a trailer. Next to a, incidentally, next to a mass grave from the uh, influenza epidemic of what, 1917, where they had to do mass graves in communities. So I've got my trailer, I've got one cup, one spoon, (laughs) (laughs) one plate, I've got a sleeping bag, I've got a cooler, and on top of the cooler sat a TV, and it got one channel. (laughs) <laughs> and so when I went home and, you know, opened a can of pork and beans or whatever I did, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I watched Pat Sajak because it was the only Yeah, station. all you should watch. And then I'd go back and write and I was working on my dissertation. But, yeah, so I never missed it. Yeah, in case you didn't know, look up Pat Sajak's politics. They are very right wing. Yeah. Which I didn't really know until somewhat recently. So let's do my top five. Let's do top five game shows. We'll see if you agree or disagree. Like I said, I was going to do top five current play-by-play announcers, but we'll do that next week. So Spencer's top five game shows. Number five is Flavor of Love. Never Never heard heard of it. (laughs) Jinx. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, It was about, have you ever heard of Flavor Flav from Public Enemy? The rapper slash hype man? Yeah, I've heard. Wears a clock around his neck on a chain? Didn't make that connection, but that's he okay. did a dating show, like a bachelor type show, and it was some of the best television I've ever seen. So, Flavor of Love is number five. Number four is Family Feud. Yeah, I like Family. I liked it with Richard Dawson. I don't even know who's doing it now. Steve Harvey, and oh, he's Steve excellent. Harvey's great. Yeah, yeah, he's excellent. The worst host was the neighbor from Home Improvement. What was his name? Richard Carn. Richard, I think Richard Carn. He was. Awful. No interaction with the players. Couldn't really make any jokes. The jokes that he did have were just fell flat on their face. He was awful. Louis Anderson, though, was fantastic as the host of Wheel of Fortune or of uh, Family Feud. Yeah, whatever he was, whatever he did, he was fantastic at. Number three is Wheel of Fortune. Now that I know how you feel about Pat Sajak, I just try to separate art from the artist when it comes to Wheel of Fortune. I still watch it fairly frequently, you know, once or twice a week maybe. Uh, Jessie doesn't really like game shows, so I have to watch it when she's away. Number two is Cash Cab. Do you remember Cash Cab? No, I don't remember. 
pretty much what it says. You get into a cab in New York City. They did it in a few other areas. I think they did one in Chicago and a couple seasons elsewhere. But for the most part, it's in New York City. So unexpected people get into the cab and a bunch of lights and buzzers and sounds go off and you're inside the cash cab. And Ben Bailey is the host and he asks you questions until you get to your destination. You can win some money. Yep, totally missed it. It was an awesome game show. Well, the number one I'm, I'm sure you are familiar with, number one is Jeopardy. Yeah, Jeopardy's good. We used to watch it all the time when I was a kid. It was fun. We used to play it. There used to, Well, there probably still is a board game and you play it. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm sure now it's pretty much app-based and, you know, you play it on a tablet or whatever. Yeah, well, this, this was something my family would gather around. I mean, like aunts and uncles, the whole family would be there for some reason and we'd play this. And, yeah. It was fun. I used to do okay, and my mom would sit in the corner and smile proud. Aw. Yeah. That's how I was with Trivial Pursuit. We didn't have Jeopardy, but I was known to kick my family's ass in Trivial Pursuit. Well, there's some that we're missing. I mean, what's that one with Howie Mandel with uh, the, what was the box or whatever? Deal or no deal? Was that no, Howie Mandel? it's something else. Anyway, I don't know. It was Howie Mandel, and you'd you'd have to guess the number. I don't know. That was that was good. But then you're too young to remember the Gong Show. Yes, I am. I mean, I know of it. So I, see, so this is okay. See, I don't know new stuff. You don't know old stuff. So the symmetry there is pretty darn good. Agree. And so when I feel bad, I don't. No, actually, I don't feel bad. I don't know some of this new stuff. But so now I feel better. You don't know the Gong Show because of the Gong Show. <laughs> Somebody would stand up there and start singing, and if they were good, you know, then they would go on to advance to the next round. If they were bad, they'd get gonged and hauled off. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I was probably 12 when I watched it. That's a, <laughs> something a 12-year-old would like. Well, yeah, what, I mean, there's all... Game shows, I feel like, used to be way bigger than they are now. I think they are starting to make a little bit of comeback. Plus, the writer's strike will probably bring a lot of these game shows back because they won't have written content to put on the air. But... Like, even back when I was a kid, like, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with Regis Philbin was, like, the biggest show on the yeah, planet for a long good. time. Um, and then, like, 21 Questions when you were a kid. Wasn't that the game show that had the big controversy with yeah. the, they were giving the... Cause I think that it was, wasn't the right name, though. Was it just called 21, maybe? Yeah, maybe. That was Because I actually saw that movie. It's called Quiz Show. Yeah. And excellent, excellent movie. Yeah, I remember. It was good. Um, when I was a teenager, there was the match game. Yeah, match game. Um, what is the one where you have to guess whether somebody's lying or not? They'd come on and they'd say, I am a two-time oh, world yeah. champion in chess, and I have all these records, and then you'd have to... What is that called? I don't remember. So many people screaming at their phones or whatever they're listening on right now. Yeah. What about the show, the the Hollywood Squares or whatever? Yes. That was fun. Man, I didn't really think about Hollywood Squares. That's a really, really good one, though. Yeah, and you'd have all that talent. All the, all the talent that was sort of past their prime. Right. But they're still very talented and Absolutely. Funny. That was... Yeah, and a lot of them were comedians, like you said. Maybe a little bit past their prime or past their prime earning period, but... Still hilarious. Yeah. Like older comedians and stuff. and any That'd other... be fun to watch now. 
It would be. I wonder if they still do Hollywood squares. Who used to be really funny was a guy named Orson Bean. I'm not familiar with Orson oh, Bean. You, oh, you'd like Orson Bean. He could sit here and we'd just be <laughs> sitting here yucking it up. He was hilarious. Orson Bean. And he was just a good man. Oh, how I miss Orson Bean. Orson Bean. Yeah. It's a good place to wrap this one up. Again, next week, top five current play-by-play announcers. We'll do past play-by-play announcers at some point, too. Anything I missed, Dr. Bob, that you want to talk about that happened over the past week or in the past few days? No, it's a big, wonderful world. We can't get it all. Again, make sure you subscribe to Dr. Bob's Substacks. He's got Deep Midwest, which is politics, culture, kind of similar to the things that we talk about on this podcast. Then you also have Cedar Creek Nature Notes, which actually just dropped a new one this morning that I was uh, glad to see. So you can subscribe to those two Substacks. And you also have Better PR. Want to mention that as well. So getting more into public relations as you retire from radio. So if people are looking out or listening right now, looking for somebody to do some PR for them, look no further than Dr. Bob. Thank you, Spencer. Again, the Iowa Writers Collaborative is what uh, Dr. Bob is part of with his Substacks. We are part of the Iowa Podcasters Collaborative. Again, we're on Twitter. We're at Iowa Revolution. Make sure you subscribe to this Substack for our podcast so you get this delivered to your email every Wednesday morning. Dr. Bob, we'll see you next week. For sure.